Gratitude That's my everyday Have you ever looked up at the stars and just wondered what it all means? Asking yourself, how do we get here and where are we going? When I look out in the world, I see so many people getting lost in their stories, rarely thinking about or asking the bigger, unanswerable questions of the universe. Like, what's the purpose of life? How did we come to be? And what happens when we die? Well, this is pretty much all I think about. And so I decided to start asking others as well. Welcome to Quantum Coffee. Just to show up as love and to love everything, to love the wounds, to love the cancer journey, to love the tumor that has got me here, that has taught me what I know, to love the companions that we have here to go through these difficult times and the beautiful times to have, you know, kids and being able to transmit that knowledge to having some feedback with the family and knowing when you are slipping up, um, just all of that, just love the experience. That was Carl Coat. He is a friend I met through a mastermind program called Fit for Service. And his story is really fascinating. He uh, was diagnosed with cancer, testicular cancer, um, from what he says, from a lot of different lifestyle choices that were leading him down this, uh, this path of stress and busyness. And, you know, he talks about his trip down to uh, Mexico where he went and did some alternative methods of healing uh, and had what he calls a spiritual awakening. And in this podcast, we discuss a little bit about that journey and obviously uh, some of the deeper questions about what he believes about his existence and his purpose in this life. Um, He is a man on the road, similar to me. That's why I respect him so much. Um, so he was doing this call from a coffee shop. So there is some background noise um, that comes up. Um, but if you can handle that, it's a really good conversation. And um, yeah, he's very insightful and his story is really powerful. Uh, I'd love to hear what you guys think. Uh, let me know. I hope you enjoy. All right, Carl. What's up, brother? Good to see you, Joe. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, I'm going to preface this. This is Carl's first podcast ever. So we're doing it. Really excited. I wanted to have Carl come on and share um, a bit about his story. It's very fascinating. Um, And I think a lot of people get a lot of value out of it. Um, I know I have. Uh, So go ahead, just share a little bit about yourself, kind of where you're at. And then we'll dive into your story. And um, the kind of premise of this podcast is called Quantum Coffee. So I ask all of my guests the same three questions. What's the purpose of life? Like, why are we here? Um, like, what do you, what's your belief in like God or a higher power? And where did that come from? And the last question will be what happened? What do you think happens when you die? So kind of keep those in mind. And then we'll, uh, obviously your story is kind of intertwined with a lot of this. So. Um, yeah, I'll just go ahead and share about who you are, and we'll go from there. Well, uh, I'm 31 years old. I grew up on the east coast of Canada, and I've uh, been living out west since 2003. And uh, I'm a father of two kids, married. And uh, currently, we've just sold our home and decided to live on the road a little bit, which is uh, connected to my journey with cancer, certainly, because uh, it's three years ago, well... I guess we'll start in 2011. I was diagnosed with testicular cancer uh, and I had surgery. And uh, subsequently, I was just followed up for, for five years. And uh, at the five-year marker, which was my supposed to be my last uh, follow-up, uh, there was a little bit of metastasis. Some lymph nodes had slightly enlarged. And uh, it sent me down this... Uh, well, eventually, it became a bit of a dark night of the soul. Uh, 
obviously being a new dad, uh, we found out that I was re-diagnosed a week after we knew uh, our second baby was coming. And uh, obviously that rocked us. Uh, I was the sole income provider of the family at the time. And uh, I decided to take some time off work and try and care for myself. Uh, But I ended up trying to care a little bit more financially and uh, than my health. And uh, over six weeks where I was supposed to get a little bit better, I ended up uh, pushing my body to the very edge uh, through some day trading and uh, having poor, poor tenants to take care of and uh, just general stress about my, my own health and my wife being pregnant and obviously that ruminating in her, in her mind. Um, became quickly became the the hardest time I'd ever experienced. I'd never been this stressed out. Uh, I'd never experienced suicidal thoughts, and uh, all of that came all at once. Basically, uh, I was waiting for scans to re, you know, to to see where I was at uh, health wise. Uh, this period went from September September of sixteen to March of seventeen, and. Uh, after New Year's there, uh, after about three or four months of a lot of suicidal thoughts, high anxiety, uh, wasn't eating properly, I had gut issues, just, you know, all of the above. Uh, I was... Was all of this because of the because of the cancer diagnosis? Was it like this? N- like what was coming up for you? Or was it just the whole lifestyle? It, it was, yeah, it was up? the lifestyle um, and the, the stress. I don't... I always say to people, I don't think that cancer really ever affected me physically. It was all mental and psychological, which, you know, can be, can be a lot harder. Um, so after, after six months of doing, doing my thing, uh, I had a pretty good idea that the results were not going to be the best. And sure enough, uh, the lymph nodes had slightly re-enlarged. So we ended up deciding to go to Mexico because I was not uh, aligning with conventional medicine and chemotherapy that they were recommended. I started to ask... Talk more about that. I started to ask a lot of questions to the oncologists and uh, I quickly realized that um, they, they basically you know, had something called a standard of care. I'm not sure a lot of people have heard about it. But uh, oncologists have certain things that they can say uh, or, or not say or even just talk about. So I was asking questions which I could quickly tell that uh, had never been asked or at least never been answered. Um, and I didn't. What kind of questions were these? Just like simple things like, you know, should my pregnant wife be worried about, you know, uh, me going to the bathroom and having a lot of these heavy uh, drugs in my system, you know, is this a concern? Uh, mm. What about my diet? You know, and, and the answer about diet was always like, oh, no, just eat whatever you want. And to me, that just made no sense, right? Um, I yeah. was very much already in alignment with diet being a huge pillar in, in health. And uh, it really just blew me away. <laughs> Them not not having anything for the patients, you know, like, uh, just basically said like, Oh, and you know, show up, show up for your chemo and, uh, we'll send you off back home and then you come back for the next one. And, uh, it's all about the chemicals, right? And those are going to heal you, but there's nothing with the nutrition or how you're fueling your body. And it's, that is really, they don't say anything about exercise, about mental. Well, I mean, they did give me a book that said, you know, reach out to counselors, but I mean, everyone who's recommended by them is indoctrinated in the same system. So, um, it didn't take long to realize that I needed to look elsewhere if I want to get different answers. And so that's when research started. And, uh, part of the reason why I went to Mexico is because I had some family members that were very aligned with conventional medicine and they were, you know, telling me I was crazy for, for not taking the treatments. And I felt like you said no to the, you said no to the chemo. Yeah. You said, I'm not going to yeah, do it. No, I, I yeah. did not want to do the chemo. And due to the location of the lymph nodes that I had, they were near some major arteries, uh, biopsies, biopsies mm. were, you know, very risky for the benefit. So that was not an option. Surgery was not an option. 
radiation uh, for the type of cancer I had was not an option either. So, you know, chemo is the only thing they suggested. And uh, it was more or less preventative is what they were saying. Um, the lymph nodes were not overly large. I wasn't, you know, stage three or four or anything like that. I was essentially, you know, using their terminology was preventative medicine. So I was like, wow. it, it you didn't want to kill it, yourself or yourselves or poison yourself. It didn't yourself. make sense to drop a You'd bomb rather, in my immune yeah. system and, and, you know, kill all of my gut biome and everything for, you know, a prevention, something that may be malignant. So, yeah, that's where I went to a place called Chipsa in Tijuana, just outside Tijuana, Mexico. And over there we did uh, IVs, a lot of IVs. Uh, some of them were vitamin C and K3 uh, combined together. How did you find this place? What was the research like to get there? Um, to be honest, there was a lot of options and these guys came in quite a bit cheaper, uh, which I mean was still okay. fairly expensive. You know, I think I ended up spending around $35,000 Canadian for three weeks. Oh, so wow. the other ones oh, wow. were, you know, 60 and up for a three week treatment or a month long treatment. And I mean, they, they did include okay. some different treatments and there was some patented. What is that compared to like, uh, to like chemotherapy? How much does chemotherapy cost? Is that like something that's covered by insurance or is that out of pocket? Yeah. Well, in Canada we have free healthcare and chemotherapy and all, and all cancer okay. medicine is included in it. So I'm I'm not sure I would have paid anything for the chemo. It would have essentially just been like show up and and it's all free. Um, okay. But the natural stuff, of course, because it hasn't been researched through you know FDA protocols and whatnot. Um, none of none of it is mm. covered. So you know I, I was doing. In the beginning, before I went to Mexico, I was doing acupuncture and taking different Chinese medicine herbs. Um, but then, yeah, in Mexico, we did the vitamin C, K3, chelation, get heavy metals out of the blood, hyperbaric oxygen chamber, ozone, blood ozone therapy, uh, a lot of coffee enemas, Gerson uh, diet. Uh, and yeah, that was, that was basically it. Were they just throwing all this stuff at you? Or is there like a, 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 system, a systematized protocol that they kind of followed and was there any like research or science behind that uh, well max gerson is who developed uh, the gerson diet he was a physician in the early 1900s and uh his his goal was to fix tuberculosis or heal tuberculosis and he started by just uh i think he started on himself initially he had some health issues and he started eating green apples because that was one of the only things that was available uh year round in germany and he'd prepare them all different ways. And after a while, uh, he realized that not only his TB patients were getting well, but anybody else and any other ailments they had were, were starting to go away. And uh, that was essentially when he realized that he was restoring the body's ability to heal itself from within um, through diet, simple things, right? And... Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of research around vitamin C and things like that. I don't, I don't know any names or anywhere it's come from. Uh, hyperbaric oxygen chamber, I mean, is known to be good for a lot of different things. So after going to or being in Mexico, uh, the treatments were great. And uh, I think there was a system around the juices that they were giving us and the enemas that were recurring four or five times a day. But as far as the other treatments, they would just kind of fit us into the schedule. Um, come grab us when there's availability and whatever treatment and work the patients through. Uh, there was no actual hard, hard system to it. And um, while I was down there, I started reading a lot. And uh, right now, well, to this day, I still feel like it was the combination of leaving my home, my, my familiar environment, which, you know, people like Joe Dispenza talk about. It's, it's a lot easier to break old patterns when you pull yourself out of the environment. So mm. having everybody, the nurses, you know, well, the cooks preparing food and the nurses really caring for me, uh, I really had nothing to think about except, you know, introspect about why am I here and how can I heal these types of questions. Started reading The Power of Now, um, 
I think I read it three or three or four times the first week and had, I guess, what you'd call a spiritual awakening in the first week. It was around my 28th birthday. And um, I'd had some different, you know, Wiccan healers and energy healers that I'd gone to see leading up to that, that had told me like, brace yourself. Things are about to get rocky for you. And uh, Mm. I I thought they were just saying things, you know, in the beginning, I, I didn't really... I've always been spiritual, but I would just say, you know, I believe in a higher power. I didn't really have any um, concrete descriptions about what I felt, you know, God was or any of that. Spirituality was more of a, you know, I, I just was very avert to religion. So I would basically tell people I'm not religious, but I do believe in, you know, a higher order. And um, that's when everything got essentially rewritten for me i became really intuitive and i noticed that uh, a lot of the patients i was talking to uh well i would mainly listen to them and uh then once in a while some words would come out and i wasn't too sure where they would were coming from it was very much like an impulse that would uh, just take over me essentially i was just a, a vessel for information coming through I ended up helping a lot of... What was that experience like? Was it like, you just knew it wasn't you, you were just like observing this information. Was it like advice on what they were going through or just something they needed to hear that you wouldn't have been able to make up in your mind? Like, talk a little bit more about that. I was essentially listening to the people. I was very tuned into the body language and and any information that was coming from them. And I was really focused on listening to them deeply, not just the the sounds they were making, but just the the energy as a whole. And uh, I think part of me that was being waking up, you know, knew what was happening, but uh, I'd be lying to you if I, if I told you my ego didn't like it. And uh, there was a lot of, you know, I I would hear my own thoughts, kind of uh, a lot of some judgment and things to the things they were saying. And I would just not say those things because it was obvious that they were just, you know, a mental narrative. But then the the odd thing would just come out and spill out like I had no control over like the words would just come out. And it was usually these very short sentences. It's not like I was going on. Dropping profound bombs. Yeah, and they were just coming naturally. And and that's what my ego liked. It was like, you know, I think we talked a little bit on on last time, but there's a a thing called, you know, the Jerusalem syndrome or or the Messiah syndrome. Yeah. And I... Yeah, the savior complex, right? I think that everyone is uh, subject to it. It's definitely in us, all of us. And um, Mm. I experienced it for, I would say, you know six to 12 months and uh you know even since at the very beginning you know it was a an inner battle it's like uh, my higher wisdom was was saying like you know settle down you know this this happens to a lot of people and you are not special i mean not in that way um yeah. and it was definitely an ongoing thing like i i wanted to continue to help people i was very inspired to uh, nurture these these skills that I, well, maybe not skills, but abilities that I've been shown to me. And uh, it's not a quick process, right? I'm still working on that here today, three years later. And uh, I hope that I can get to a place where these uh, these abilities flow through more frequently and at will so that I can use them to help people come through similar struggles. Um, yeah, really that. Yeah, we'll get back to uh, we'll get back to like the the tools. I want to ask you the tools and like how you try and cultivate that kind of higher awareness in your everyday life now. But let's like when you were back in Mexico, were these other like patients at the facility that you were kind of talking to that you were into? Was were they asking for advice or was it just conversations? I know there's a lot of people down there um, trying to figure out ways to to get healthy, and I know there was probably a lot of people down there for. Um, similar reasons to you with different lifestyle choices and really like trying to find themselves again and find healing. Talk more about that journey um, in the three weeks and kind of what went on down there in Mexico and like kind of how you came out of it. 
So, yeah, there was a lot of people. And I mean, part of the reason why there was a, a little bit of an ongoing battle with the, the Messiah complex is because there were certain people coming to me and saying things like, uh, the one daughter-in-law was like, I had a dream about you. Like, you need to come talk to my mother-in-law. And and it was, like I said, it was very rarely uh, talking. It was more like a, a deep listening. And I think that a lot of people who are on their deathbed, um, you know, probably not just for cancer, but a lot of people have not been heard most of their lives, uh, have not forgiven themselves most of their lives. They're carrying tremendous burdens. And... Uh, um, some emotions are coming back up here. Yeah, it was, um, I could see their pain. I could see that they hadn't forgiven themselves. And, um, one lady in particular, um, I sat in front of her, she had had fluid in her lungs for weeks. And she was really, you know, going downhill fast. And uh, the girl, the, the daughter-in-law that had come gab me, she, she said, you know, you need to talk to her. I went in there and she ended up spilling her heart out to us or, or to me um, for about an hour, telling me things that her own son had never even, you know, heard. And uh, it really felt like uh, she was not in control of what, what was coming out. You know, she was very, she looked like she was almost dead. And when I sat in front of her, she came alive and something kind of brought that information through her and her eyes opened all up. And um, it was almost like a, a deathbed confession of some sort. And uh, she came right back to life that day. And uh, for about 10 days, she, you know, was more lively than she, she had been in, you know, the past year. This lady had been through chemo a couple of times and um, her son told me, like, <laughs> I remember his face. He's just like, what just happened in here? Like the Holy Spirit came through. And uh, I mean, I just, at that time, like I, I really had nothing to do with it. It was just mm. being there for the patients and really giving them all of my my love awareness just sitting there for them and feeling that they just really wanted to be heard and so i mean she ended up passing away about 10 days later but the day that i spoke to her uh, the reason they came and grabbed me is because the doctor said she was gonna go that day so i mean it bought her another 10 days and she was able to dance in her chair a few of the afternoons and um yeah i mean yeah, the power of presence. Man. Yeah, it's it's That's, really thanks for sharing. It's that. really a lot simpler than people think. You know, than I think most. Let's talk about yeah, talk about the correlation, like w from your experience and your beliefs now through this whole process of you know disease manifesting into our physical bodies, and like you said not ever really most of us that never really express our emotions feel heard are in the presence of somebody where we can really be vulnerable and open and you know i know both of us are doing the work and when we question these deeper stories and these you know quote-unquote traumas of our childhood of our lives and we're able to express and talk them it's almost like we release that energy and a lot of people hold on to that and you know sometimes it does manifest into these physical illnesses talk about your experience with that and like what you your journey's been like for you personally and then what you've seen uh with your time down in mexico and with your time kind of you know in this in this um this realm of you know the cancer and, and people dealing with it yeah you bet so i believe that everything in its essence is is spirit is um frequency uh information and in, in frequency and uh so is our emotions and so is all of the, the thoughts that we have things like that and uh the body is is an antenna to pick up to pick up um certain frequencies and when we are hurt um at any point in our lives uh the emotions can get trapped if they're not properly processed and uh the antenna gets 
gets clogged up with different different frequencies that are essentially you know clogging up the signal of spirit um that can that that understands the whole that trying to articulate this but yeah basically the the emotions that are trapped in the trauma murky's the signal and uh eventually the cells don't get the information that they should and that's why you know cancer is typically a you know a tumor is essentially a cell that forgot how to die properly how to recycle itself and that's why you end up finding you know tissues in say a certain organ you know they'll they'll find a tooth in there a partially grown tooth it's because the the cell has all potentials within different genes can be activated in different circumstances and it's essentially a poor signal in my opinion that is the beginning of all disease it's just the we have we all hold potentials to to be whole to be healthy but it's the environment that we're in and the relationships that hurt us that kind of pile up over time and um, eventually we lose the ability to plug into source and uh, it's really not because we're defective in any way I, I really do believe that everyone has has potential for health yeah that's a good segue into um the question i ask everybody and i think about i mean pretty much every day it's always on my mind and some days it's in this like wondrous awe kind of way and then some of it's like really what's the point and that is like what's the purpose of this life like what's your like, why are we all here? What's the purpose of the existence? If you're saying like there's this source, this, this higher power, and then there's, you know, we all have spirits that are in this physical reality, but it's still like, leaves me questioning, like, what is the whole point? Like, what's the purpose of life? Ah. <laughs> um, for me, at least the, the way I see it at this point, you know, I assume that's, subject to change but uh, i think the point of life is to love not not to be in love or, or not to love you know a certain thing but just to show up as love embody love and um i think that's the way god experiences itself maybe sounds a little cliche but um i believe that we all have that potential like i said and without these uh, biological meat suits that we embody, um, you know, it could feel really alone to be that omnipresent, omniscient entity that I believe God is, this energetic field that comprises everything that we see here in the physical and much more that we don't see um, outside of, well, I don't think they're outside of these realms, but they're just not perceptible to most people but i mean obviously they're psychic things like that i think that's the meaning of life i think god wants to experience itself as a loving being and see you know biological life thrive and uh play the game yeah. just just be here and enjoy every every moment like our bodies are wired to have such amazing experiences, the senses, everything, you know, I was able to climb a mountain and then go on top and have a little substance and experience what I believe is the field. You know, when I, when I use DMT, I'm quite certain that I see a visual representation of what that infinite potential of uh, frequencies might look like uh, if we were able to, you know, put it into physical form. Um, but yeah, I think that just to show up as love and to love everything, to love, to love the wounds, to love the cancer journey, to, to love the tumor that has got me here, that has taught me what I know, to love the, the companions that we have here to go through these difficult times and the beautiful times to have, you know, kids and being able to transmit that knowledge to 
having some feedback with the family and knowing when you are slipping up, um, just all of that, just love the experience. And, uh, even for myself, it's a lot easier to say than to do. Um, yeah, totally right. the last couple of weeks have not been, well, overall they've been quite challenging, but there's been moments where I you know, Usually it's almost by mistake. I just drop into that space. And typically when I, when I get there, um, I can't hold back tears because I know how powerful these states can be because all obstacles really do seem to fall away because you tap into a place where there's a lot more possibilities and you, you don't need to think about the possibilities. They're just available. Um, to our higher selves and when you can cultivate that state and stay there things get magical um to say the least that's beautiful man thanks for sharing that i love the the idea that you know because i think the, the the word love gets kind of misused people you know think you know like loving somebody like a lot of people the way they think about love is they love somebody or something and it's like it's almost like this attachment or desire or need for something. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about like embodying love and you were talking about earlier, the frequency and the vibration that, you know, emotions and thoughts have and our body carries. So like, I love the idea of thinking of love as like a vibration that you can tune into or an energy field and embodying that energy field. And like you said, when you can do that, you drop into almost like almost a completely different state of being where you're just really receptive and open to the experience that you're having. And yeah, it's really, really beautiful. Yeah. And, and for me, typically, um, when I get forceful with things is, uh, when I struggle more to show up as love, it's like the tyrant part of myself that wants to figure things out, that wants to force things that wants to go, 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 you know, that masculine driving force and typically that's the that's the biggest snag for me in the last several months is to you know surrender let go what we all like to talk about but um when you're in the trenches sometimes it's a little tougher than than it's uh than that's it a good is point. Yeah. i love in the trenches that's a good way to put it like living this experience mm-hmm. of life can be it comes with a lot of big waves and flows and ups and downs. And so like, what are some tools that you use to connect with that, that loving state? And, you know, and obviously it's easier when you're on a hike with a really close friend and maybe, you know, doing some micro doses of mushrooms and you're really connected to nature, but what happens when you're in traffic and someone cuts you off and you just feel rage in your body? Like, is there, can you, find love in those moments as well and like what practices do you use to 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 connect with that in different you know ways yeah um obviously all learning for me uh comes through just having awareness and paying attention to my surroundings my my thoughts everything that is coming through in any given moment and uh seemingly now uh whenever i fall out of that it's because uh there's a story telling me that i am not in the right place that i should be doing something different um that this person shouldn't have cut me off and it's definitely uh my suffering is rooted in expectations expectations of all sorts um yeah expecting that my kids shouldn't behave the way they do, expecting that I should be making, you know, more money than I am. Um, and, and believing that is usually what, what makes me suffer is just, uh, and I think I create my own resistance towards a more abundant life. And, uh, I don't mean that just financially, but just, you know, love abundance, um, and just feeling like there's no boundaries, I guess. Like it's, it's really just what we create. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, it's fascinating. Like I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Like, like me and you, for instance, we're sitting here having this conversation. We're both the uh, this awareness in these kind of meat suits, like you talked about these bodies. And in this moment, we are in the same presence, having a conversation. And the really the only thing that separates us is the story we're playing in our mind about who we are, what we're capable of, what we're going to do later today. But like right now in the infinite field of potentiality, like we could literally create anything, right? It's just about the stories that build walls around what we think we're capable of. And questioning those stories is really powerful because that's really, you know, like you said, if you get cut off or you're not, you have expectations of your life being a certain way, like where does that, like questioning where that story comes from? Like, and most of the time it's not our story. It's society's story, our parents' story, our friend's story, what we think we need to be. Yeah. It's really, really fascinating. Um, what are some tools you use to, to question the stories? Is it just, does it just take awareness? Is there things you do on a daily basis that help you? Um, anything like that? Um, I like to, I like to get into some cold water in the morning. Um, which is quite a trend going on, uh, not necessarily for, for awareness building, but just for, it makes me feel good. I really enjoy Kundalini yoga, which I've been practicing, uh, actually started that a few months before I did go to Mexico. So going on about three years, I could be a little bit more consistent, but I really enjoy the breath work. Uh, the chanting meditations seem to bring me to that space more than just a sitting meditation. I really like making the sounds and resonating my vocal cords and I can feel it throughout my body. And uh, I find it's a lot easier to get over that mental narrative and the chatter when I am chanting something. Um, so that's probably uh, my biggest one. I like to ask people what they see in me. and. Ooh, that's a big one. Um, I find deep, deep, deep reflectors as friends is probably um, the thing that I appreciate the most. I find that it's we are so used to our stories that it's often very hard to see that we're not in the right as much as we'd like to think, as much as our little selves would like to think. Well, it's fascinating that even our story of ourselves is not the story of even our closest loved one's story of us. Right. Um, what is that conversation like when you ask somebody that, like, how do you bring that up? Like, hey, you know, give me this some truth. Like, what's your story of me? Like, how do you bring that up to somebody? Because I feel like that is a really powerful practice, but it does take a lot of vulnerability to ask somebody that because it could be a huge shock, the news <laughs> that you get. Well, that's the thing. There's this part of me and uh, it's probably, you know, little boy Carl who wants to be accepted, wants to, you know, do the right thing um, is still within me. And I have this thing I've been wrestling for maybe a little over a year now where I just feel like there's something wrong with me, like I'm hiding something from myself. And um, the answers that I get from people, you know, a lot of people in the group that we were in this year, um, the answers that I get are not aligned with what <laughs> I feel I am. So mm. they, they tell me, they, they point in the direction of some of my superpowers, I guess you could say. But um, there's a little bit of work being, to be done still in, in really embodying that, owning that, and uh, charging forward with it in a, in a healthy not needy way <laughs> just yeah. really i guess the word is embodying um, yeah it's, it's such a journey huh i i find like some people are not don't want to be fully honest with me but i know that's not the case they're being honest but it's just like that part of me that just doesn't want to believe that i am enough and i am able to help others and things like that I really need to cultivate that that more that part of me. Yeah, it's fascinating. That's a huge like that's a story. One of my big stories too is like this unworthiness, this who am I to 
you know, be a leader or, you know, share my loving presence with people. And like, it's fascinating that a lot of people deal with that unworthiness. Like, where do you think that that comes from? Is it like a societal thing? I think you're probably really close to it. Um, without diving into too much uh, negative stuff, I think that there's been people that had the intention to keep us small. Um, and it may, maybe not people, but just. Yeah, like who is they, right? Like who are they yeah, that are doing this to us? But it's almost like a perpetuating cycle that kind of, it almost takes over itself. Like the people that are they that are like perpetuating it are almost are unconscious of it as well, right? And it's like this collective story really of unworthiness. I know it's something I've dealt with, um, you know, this this big story of feeling capable of stepping up and, and doing big things. I mean, even though I played in the NFL and I accomplished a childhood dream, there was always even a piece of me when I was in the NFL that just felt like I didn't belong. And it's like this deep seated story that I feel like, like, I feel like everybody in our society and our culture nowadays and present day reality deals with. And yeah, just, just wondering where that comes from. Like, where did that cycle begin? And you know, obviously the, the corporations and the powers that be definitely take advantage of that feeling of unworthiness and that feeling unwhole and feeling that taking advantage of that void we all feel inside of us to fill it with all this material stuff and consumerism and the way our society and culture is built. Um, but you know, like anybody on this journey, I know myself, like I've gotten to that point to the pinnacle making a lot of money and I still felt unsatisfied, unwhole, unworthy. And it wasn't until I started really questioning the stories from within and, and loving myself fully every single piece of me that I've been able to really find that wholeness from within. Um, so I guess, where does that, where does that kind of come from? Like, where, how do we deal with that collectively? I'm glad you worded it this way because uh, it's bringing up something. Um, I'm sure you've heard of Charles Eisenstein. I was listening to him uh, last week. And uh, I think that kind of answers that question. And, and it is very much rooted in society and what we believe as a collective. And uh, essentially, we believe that more is better. And more money is better, more, you know, more beauty is better, more, you know, as far as medicine goes, more drugs is going to be better. It's a, it's a more mentality, more, more consuming will make us happier. And, uh, he makes the point, obviously I'm kind of paraphrasing it all, but, um, he makes the point that we need to shift at that level to know that, you know, more is not maybe the maybe not the option in that living sim in a simpler fashion is probably going to be a better thing for for all of us and you know taking medicine's approach like <clears throat> bombing bombing our systems with harmful drugs uh you know is is maybe not the option you know maybe maybe you just need to quit your job that's stressing you out that is making you commute, you know, an hour and a half each way and slow down a little bit, work, work from home maybe, and have more time to introspect and be human, you know, connect to nature, um, take care of yourself, be with friends, um, you know, play more. Uh, and I think those are all the, the tools that can be overlooked. Like, a lot of us are now looking into bio biohacking and supplements and this and that. And that is all to get more performance, right? Mm -hmm. It's to, instead of, you know, toning it back a little bit and being able to live a happier life that way, it's instead, you know, how can I optimize my performance? And I, there's definitely a space for that. But I think that it comes from that same old paradigm, right? That, you know, taking the foot off the accelerator is not the option. It's like, get a better car, better. <laughs> get, a, get a Lamborghini, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, I mean, it's all, uh, it all comes back to the intention, right? Like what's your intention? Like if you're doing it to try and get more and you're still on the treadmill going faster, 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 like most people don't realize or don't even think about in their awareness at all that eventually 
you know, it's going to all stop and be over and you're going to be left. Like if you don't actually take time to slow down and enjoy the human experience, then you're going to miss out. And I kind of come full circle with your journey. Like I don't want to leave people hanging. You were down in, in Mexico, you kind of had this awakening realizing, okay, I'm, I'm stressed out. I'm living this life of excess of more trying to getting caught up in the stories and the stress and the anxiety of life. And then you go down to Mexico, kind of fill in uh, what kind of happens after that and your lifestyle now and the journey that you've taken. So I guess there's something I haven't shared that's definitely pertinent to this talk. So I'll, I'll go back to that. Um, I use, I use drugs. Well, so I played hockey as a kid and uh, very much like, like you uh, with football, I'm sure um, I wanted to be pro, except I did not make it. And I, around 17 years old, I started partying, chasing, chasing girls and doing a lot of heavier drugs, um, which led to the surgery. And then for about a year, I kind of took it easy. I started working more on diet, things like that. But then that, that whole of not becoming a professional sports athlete started to, you know, torment me a little bit. So I jumped into triathlons, which it was a good move uh, in, hi- in hindsight. I was becoming healthier. I started running, biking, you know changed my friends. I wasn't using anymore. I wasn't drinking anymore. Um, but that mentality of not enough, uh, quickly took over. So about a year, I was lucky first year I ended up qualifying for world championships as an age grouper. So that kind of set the wind in my sails. And then I got a coach and started training harder, harder, harder. And I started having injuries. And my third year, I was sick every other week, um, you know, getting all the colds and flus and things like that. And uh, just kept pushing. I would get sick. And, you know, the minute that I was remotely healthier, I would go back training or, you know, I would go and get dry needling in my shins. And uh, I'd had shin splints for like 18 months total. I just kept running, kept doing this, kept doing that. So that's essentially what led me to, to Mexico, uh, is just pushing my body too far and not listening to the little voice inside saying, you know, that's enough. Uh, and this, this part of me just really like seeking validation through beating other, other people at something. Um, I guess that was, that was my moment, you know, of realizing like, more, more is not better. More is not going to get it for me. And I mean, among the tra- among the racing and, and the performance too, like there was more validation coming through traveling the world. And, you know, I was making good money at the time, spending that money um, and experiences and all of that. So yeah, it's just, I think it's in all of us and it's the, become more content with the simple things and to do the simple things well, you know, like eat, sleep, be with people and community, play, you know, play just to play, not to, I mean, competition is fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with it, but when it's the four, like the, the main focus, I think that it, uh, it always leads to things breaking down. Mm. You know, it's wild, but I've learned too is on this whole journey and, and like all this practices you just said, this, you know, kind of balancing, finding balance within yourself between the masculine and the feminine and the masculine energy is this do, go, accomplish, achieve, which is what our collective society has been attached to for so long as the idea of success. And I feel like there's this really collective shift happening, trying to find balance into that more feminine aspect, which is the surrender, the let go, the allowing uh, experience of life to, you know, unfold. And it's, it's really about finding balance. It's not about like just connecting to nature and not ever doing anything with your life, but finding that balance. And I've, I've found in my own personal experience, when you do, when I find play, time to play, when I find time to slow down, when I find time to unplug, turn my phone off, get out in nature, it really gives me the space and the energy to actually accomplish more, to do more, to be more creative to and enjoy the whole entire experience a lot more profoundly. And 
you know, people think that they need to keep, and I think it's says these underlying thoughts that they're just kind of scared or nervous to look at because once they do look at it, it really unravels a lot of pent up held in emotions that can be a lot to process all at once. If, and that's why a lot of people, it takes, you know, going through a dark night of the soul, so to speak, like something really heavy, almost hitting rock bottom to finally look at the things and the stories that have gotten you to that place and then unwinding them. And it takes a lot of patience and a lot of work. Um, but talk about the last question I kind of want to discuss with you. And I, I know, you know, having cancer yourself and, and being around down in Mexico, the stories you shared about, you know, people facing these, these terminal illnesses at times, I know yours wasn't, um, but talk about the idea of death and what do you think happens when, when you die? Like when you die, what are you going to, what do you, what, what's the belief system you attach? Where did that belief system come from? Um, and, you know, talk a little bit about the idea of death and how it's such a taboo thing in our culture, but you know, it's something I think about quite often and I feel like it's a really good thing to remind yourself that it is impermanent and the impermanence of life, it really allows and gives you space to be more present and enjoy the experience more fully. Talk about your experience with cancer and being around that kind of uh, energy and how it's affected your life. Yeah, that's a doozy. Um, I think that a lot of the, the drive to, to get more and stuff comes from fear of death in a way. And I can't say that I've really leaned into that uh, too much. I think I still take it for granted um, more often than not. Uh, I really do feel like, as I said, we are spiritual beings first and foremost. And uh, I'd like to think that we go back to that form once we lose this body and <clears throat> that we continue on, you know, go back to source, I guess you could say. Um, but I really, I just don't know what that looks like. It's, there's, there's no really long answer. I think, I think our, our awareness or consciousness goes to a place that we don't quite understand. And, uh, you know, using plant medicines definitely gives you a picture that seems very real and possible, sometimes more real in this world, but I guess hard to know for sure. I mean, the best way is probably to listen to people who have gone, gone dead on the table and have come back. And I think there's a whole world out there. It's just maybe, uh, a little bit more forgiving than, than the world we, that we're in here. That's a very great way to put it. I like that. It's, you know, maybe a different realm of existence. That's a little more forgiving. You know, we have like such a rigid existence in this physical reality and this physical body. But I mean, like, that's why I love having these conversations and that's why I like discussing the unanswerable questions. Cause what do we really like, what do we know? Like we, we are in these humanoid bodies having an experience and people, it fascinates me every day how people walk around. Like it's so normal. Like they go into the coffee shop and get a coffee and like living these stories. We're wearing these like costumes and it's just like to even just widen the lens out just a little bit. And you're just like, wonder what in the heck, you know? And that's why I love watching sunsets and sunrises because it's just in an instant because we all forget we all forget. We all remember. We all forget. And it's like this flow of constantly trying to like figure this whole thing out. But like when it comes down to it, nobody really knows anything about anything. That's right. That's right. And, um, someone from the group last year really put it well. It's like, it doesn't matter because the experience, like my experience right now feels so real. So even if we are in this, you know, imaginary reality or whatever, like what, whether, you know, the DMT space or the mushroom space is not real, it is real to me. And that's really all that matters. You know, like the experience feels real. There seems to be meaning to it all. The feelings, the, the senses are very much alive and we are all interacting in this game together. It's the best game, you know, like we're able to do all this stuff and it's like, I doubt it's happened by accident, right? Like there's just no way it's too good to just be like this 
options. Too much it's detail. Like, There's oh, way, way too oh. much detail. Look, look at his walking, talking, fucking, yeah. uh, you know, it's just like, we're very fortunate. And um, even more so, I believe there's a time, there's a time happening now where more people are going to start to remember these things. Uh, I think more permanently also. So not only do we get the chance to live this life as humans, but we get to do it now where we're here to embody that love. We're here to embody the knowing that it is a fun game and we need to make the best of it and we need to heal ourselves. And I believe that all life will, will benefit from us living in a more aligned way. And I think mm. that's, that's definitely part of the meaning for myself anyways. I love it, man. That's what I say all the time. What a time to be alive. Yeah, we, we have really separated, you know, humans from animals, from the earth, from the planets. And uh, as you know, like with the microbiome in our guts, probably the best, best example is just there's billions of, you know, little bacteria in there that depending on their abundance and their variety, we are not as healthy as we could be. And uh, I think that's the same way. It's like we need to have diversity in, in humanity. We need to have diversity in species. We need to have diversity in all aspects. And none of it is separate. And uh, if mm. we can achieve that, you know, permaculture is another good example. It's, you know, a field of corn is a lot easier to, to mess with than, you know, an acre of rainforest that has thousands of different species in it so i mm -hmm. think going back to variety um in all aspects of life is what's going to serve us in the end yeah we're like the microbiome of the planet right mm -hmm. these little organisms that are habitating this larger ecosystem that is i mean really fascinating how connected it all really is mm -hmm. um so I appreciate you taking the time and sharing your your journey. I feel like we kind of covered a lot of different things and we could talk forever, but I want to wrap it up here. And I want to ask you like one final thing. If you were, you know, to die tomorrow or you knew your life was coming to an end and you had one message to kind of share with humanity, with your family, with your loved ones, like what would you want to say and what would you want to be remembered for? What I would want to say is uh, don't take it too serious. And uh, it's always better to take it a little more lightly and have fun and enjoy the ride than to impose some form of schedule or, or, or hard goal. I mean, it's definitely good to aim for something, but when, when it's making you miserable, um, at least, you know, obviously plan this to myself is just have fun. Be loose about it. Enjoy the ride. It doesn't last forever, so every day is numbered. What I'd like to be remembered for? Just as a good friend, a good father, and uh, someone that people like to be around and, uh, you know, return the favor as far as, it, like I said earlier, I really appreciate uh, having friends that can reflect certain things in me. And uh, I really like to be able to do that for other people so that's what i'd like to be remembered as beautiful man i really appreciate you taking the time and sharing um sending all the love your way man we'll definitely do it again soon thanks a lot joe thanks for having me and sorry about the the noise i'll maybe uh this was the last last minute thing next time i'll uh, be in a quieter spot or maybe next time i'll have a full studio you can come out and we'll be big time <laughs> by then let's do it and yeah, uh, you definitely inspired me to um, get my own thing going. So hopefully cool, in man. the next few months, get some kind of online coaching business and start sharing my, my message. And um, thanks for having me. It's really uh, pushed me in the right direction.
I love it, man. And let me know if there's any way I can support you on that journey. I, I, you know, love to offer any kind of help I can. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Take care. Hey, we'll talk soon. Much love. All right, brother. Gratitude for the sunrise. Gratitude for the sunshine. Gratitude for the moonlight. Every day feels like a new life. Especially when I meditate. Take a breath and then I elevate. Everything deserves gratitude. That's my everyday attitude. Gratitude. That's my everyday attitude.